So when you talk to teachers and preachers and theologians and scholars about Romans, the part of Romans that everyone loves to teach is Romans chapter 8 or Romans chapter 12. The part that everyone hates to teach is chapters 5 through 7, which is about where we've been, which is about where we've been. And we're going to wrap up chapter 7 today, but I want you to see there is some incredible meat and wealth here for us because you don't get a Romans 8 without a Romans 7. Are you with me? So today we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture. We're actually going to read a whole bunch of Scripture and then uh, finally put all of these pieces together. Beginning in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 24. It's a little bit extended, so stay with me. Paul says, So the trouble's not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with who? Me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is at least in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I, I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably seem to do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I love this passage. Uh, in in some ways, like this is like this is Paul at his most relatable. Like this is this is the like the most relatable moment maybe in Scripture. How many of us, even if we haven't said the words, uh, I want to do what is right, but I can't have felt that? Have you ever known the right thing to do and not done it? Ever cheat on your diet? How many of you are, are doing something contrary to your doctor's instructions right now? <laughs> doctor's suggestions, right? Ever receive good advice and then not take it? Uh, ever spend money on things you know you shouldn't? Have you ever texted and driven? No, not me either. Um, ever take uh, one more drink when you know you should stop? Ever lie when you didn't have to? Ever watch something you know you shouldn't? Or say words you didn't even know were in there? How do some people 
who have been given what seems like every chance, every advantage, every opportunity in life still mess it up. These words of Paul of, uh, of saying these great things like, uh, I don't understand myself. I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. These words can, uh, can be heard in every AA, NA meeting, every addiction recovery and rehab facility in our whole world. Paul again is speaking to the nature of Adam. What he believes is in each and every one of us, this compulsiveness, this, this willfulness. And the New, Test, uh, the New Living Translation translates Paul's words. Uh, he says, uh, uh, I, I have discovered this principle of life. He says it's that big. It's like gravity. Like, like this thing happens to all of us, and none of us are immune to it. And you're not going to believe what it is. The, this principle of life is that uh, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes the harder I try to do what is right and good, only that that only when that happens I mess it up even more. Has that ever happened? If that's you, if you you have ever been there, Paul says what's really happening is that in some way, in some shape, in some dark corner of your life, sin is still alive and in control. He says, another power within you at war with your mind. Uh, it made me think of the movie Aliens. You guys remember these movies? Uh, man, I love these movies. It's awesome. You know, this, this alien creature is somehow like alive inside of you waiting to burst out. That's how he speaks of sin. This thing inside you that, that is ultimately going to cause your death. This thing that is alive in you. This, this sin is going to lead to your condemnation and death. And, and Paul kind of in this great kind of epic speech of why do I do what I don't want to do? And why can't I do the things that I want to do? Like this, this great cry. Do you hear like the, like, like the pleading? Like he's no longer a, a pastor. He no longer talks about like sla- sin as like slavery. He talks about it as this, this incredible force that, that we're almost addicted to. Like I can't let go of it. I just can't get away with it away from it. And Paul, like this is, this is kind of deep emotional kind of crying out. He calls out, he says, man, I'm, I am a poor, unfortunate soul. And look in verse 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this? How am I ever supposed to get out of this thing? This thing that I, okay, I'm going to quit this time. This time's for real. This time I really quit, and then it happens again. All right, this is the time. This time I'm going to quit. This time things are going to happen. This time things are going to be different, and it happens again. Okay, this is the time. How many of you felt this way? Paul says, if you've been in that circle, he, he says, man, what a miserable place that is. He says, who 
will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death. And look what he says in the very next verses. In 725 through 84, he says, he says that this is a big exclamation. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Who will free me from this thing that's inside of me that's con- I can't seem to break its control? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm still a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Keep going. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Who will free me from this cycle of sin, from this cycle of just, oh man, I can't believe I'm in this place again. How did I find myself here? Do you ever see these people? Sometimes sometimes I feel like people will like, uh, even in, so even in the United States where we have every advantage, every opportunity, like like every financial resource, like, like have you seen like this, this drives me crazy. Like, uh, I wasn't, I'm like middle class family. We weren't super wealthy. But have you ever seen rich kids mess up? And you're like, that doesn't make any sense, right? You had every chance. Why are you messing up? And, and you, you get into this place of like, okay, who is going to free us from this? How do, I, how do I get out of this circle, this cycle he says uh, in 7.13, if you back up a little bit, he said, sin uses what is good to bring about my condemnation to death. But look what it says in 8.1. He goes on, he, he said, I'm gonna bookend this statement. So sin brought about condemnation and death, but now in 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He says the way out of this mess is, is not a, a, a program that you're going to do all by yourself. Uh, I know this hurts some of our pride. The, the way out of this mess isn't just going to be, a, well, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to get this thing done all by myself. In fact, if you tried that, as maybe some of you have, what ends up happening, you kind of find yourself deeper in the mess. Paul says... The answer, think about that, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's keep reading. And this is where the battle is going to take place in chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Thank God we're finally in chapter 8. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. 
So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul goes on to say, like, there's, there's this war going on inside of us. There is the spirit of God, and then there is this nature of sin, this, this spirit of sin. And, and the battleground, we always think the battleground is our heart, right? Like, the, we're fighting for our hearts here. You know, we, that's kind of our, our language. But the battleground isn't your heart. If you look carefully at Scripture, where's the battle being fought? In your mind, the battle is for how you think. Ever ask yourself who's in control of your thoughts? Ever ever have one of those thoughts sneak into there and go, hmm, I wonder where that came from. Ever stop and ask Am I really in control of my thoughts? I think we kind of assume that we are all the time, right? We kind of have this noble idea, like our thoughts are always pure and good and true. And then some thought sneaks in there, creeps in there. You realize, oh, maybe there is something else living in me. So later in Romans chapter 12, in in verse 2, he's, he's going to say, Paul is going to say, but don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your what? Heart? By the renewing of your mind. He says this, this transformation that takes place from a spirit of sin to a, the spirit of God is a battle that happens in your mind and the transformation happens. It's a spirit-filled transformation, but it happens when you begin to give your thoughts, your mind to God. Transformation and freedom comes when we begin to, to give the spirit of God control of the very way we think, replacing every sinful thought with thoughts of the Spirit, with with the fruits of the Spirit, choosing to think differently. Choosing to think like Jesus leads us ultimately to life and peace. Do you believe that? Like here at Aspen Grove, our goal is to grow followers of Jesus Christ. And that's great if he was here and and it was like a follow the leader. You'd follow him wherever he goes. But are you choosing to think like he thought? Maybe you've given your actions, but have you really given your mind? Is your mind being transformed to the mind of Christ? Let's keep reading. 9 through 13, and this is it. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Maybe you need to highlight that for, remind yourself of that. Maybe it's felt that way or seemed that way for a long time, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And verse 10, and if you you had any question about it, and Christ lives within you. 
So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. What are those three words? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. What? And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give you give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, that's a big therefore. Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Earlier, Paul says, I have this principle of life. (laughs) This principle of, of life. No matter how hard I try to do what's right and good and just, I somehow always find this way to miraculously mess it up. And he says, there's an alien of sin living in all of us. And now Paul says, that spirit of sin, that it was literally killing you, is dead. And it has been replaced by a new spirit, an even stronger spirit. Think about what it says in verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about that. What's impossible for you if you really have the the spirit that is capable of resurrecting someone from the dead inside you? What force of nature could stand against you if you have a spirit of resurrection with the power of resurrection in you? What obstacle, what mountain, what addiction Would you be unable to conquer? There's not one. An even greater spirit is within you. What would it look like if churches and Christians lived out of that spirit even 10% more than we do? What would happen? What would be possible? At the beginning of chapter 7, he says, brothers and sisters, and now at the end, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, if you have the Spirit of God alive in you, then you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I want you to know that freedom and that release this morning. No obligation to sin. You owe it nothing. And it has no control over you other than the control maybe you give it. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't work for sin anymore. Sin no longer has any control of your mind. You're no longer a slave 
just a couple words as as we wrap up our time. And and I know it's been scripture heavy. Maybe you feel like that poor, unfortunate soul Paul describes. Uh, The the one that, that always seems to find their way into trouble. The one that always seems to mess things up. Maybe you feel like like there's a war going on for your thoughts, for your mind. You're crying out, who will free me? The answer, maybe this seems too simple. The answer is Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing. I can I couldn't imagine if we took a moment just to share and let everyone share their troubles and we, we wrote all our troubles down on one side of the board and then we said, okay, what is the answer? And it would always be the same. The answer is Jesus Christ. Christ lives within you. There is incredible power and potential for good for life, for peace in each and every one of us. So I would want you to know you're no longer a slave. You have no obligation to sin. That there is life for you. In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and uh, dismiss you to a time of communion Uh, We've got tables set up around the room, and it has the elements of communion, the bread and the cup, which represents Christ's body and blood sacrificed for you so you could have this new spirit. And maybe as you take these elements today, um, just in your, maybe somehow if you can close your eyes, what would it mean for you to invite that spirit back in? Maybe you've been controlled by another spirit for too long. Maybe a a sin has been uh, counting Uh, running a roughshod over your life or over your heart or over your mind what if what if this morning as you take communion you just invite that spirit of God back into your life like you reclaim control of your thoughts reclaim control of your mind and then give it to Christ would you walk out of here changed different better for some of you, there's, there's struggles that have been so deep and so hidden and been so prevalent for so long, you can't even begin to imagine that Jesus Christ might actually be the answer. You're, you're sitting here listening to me right now going, it can't be that simple. And I would want you to know the truth that Jesus Christ is the only one. He is the answer. He's the only one that can bring you to life and peace. And if you'll give us a chance, we'll, uh, we'll be happy to pray for you. We'll be happy to help you transform your mind and give it to Christ. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism. And we have everything we need. We'd love to hear you make that confession of faith in front of all of us. And we'll help you live this life in Christ. So let me say a prayer for us and then I'll move to the back corner. And if there's ways we can pray for you or serve you, I'll be happy to, happy to meet your needs there. Father God, we love you. I thank you so much for your word, for its power. Thank you for 
the conviction that's there. I thank you for, for Paul's honesty. Like Paul's this epic guy writing the Bible. Like he's this awesome, faithful guy. And here he is crying out to you, hey, what a miserable person I am. I, I can't seem to get over this thing. I can't seem to beat this thing. This thing keeps coming up in my mind and my heart. And, and I, I want to be free of it. Even he, Father God, needed your son, Jesus Christ, like we all do. And so, Father God, we ask for um, uh, a complete change of mind this morning. That we would examine our thoughts and any thoughts that are sinful or hurtful or harmful or impure, Father God, that, that, that we would recognize these thoughts have zero power over us and we are, we are not obligated to them anymore. And instead, Father God, we invite you to come and transform us mind first. We invite your spirit to come and envelop our bodies. Father God, we, we come before you. Maybe there's been lots of ways we've been trying to handle it, deal with it ourselves. And this morning, Father God, as we take communion, as we pray, as we meditate, maybe we just need to remember that you and your son are the answer more than sufficient for all of our cares and problems and concerns. Father God, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,